Hey, Josh. Hey, Nate. How you doing this week? I am doing pretty great. Um, you know, life is life is pretty good. Um, just, yeah, lots of things to keep busy with. Uh, trying to stay out of trouble, you know, keep the kids in line, all that sort of stuff. How uh, how are things with you? Uh, good, good. Uh, this, let's see, fall sports are in full swing. I've had to sub in as a run a soccer uh, practice this week because the other coach was away and he just tagged me last week. Like, hey, do you want to run a practice? I'm like, okay. So um, I tried to make it super fun for the kids because, you know, don't at 10 years old, rarely everyone gets to actually shoot on goal. I was like, you know what? I'm putting who wants to play goalie? Everyone raised their hands. All right. I'm putting two goalies in. Everyone gets a chance to shoot on them. And they just got to rotate and have fun for like half an hour. And we did. Other uh, stuff. We did actual skills, but uh, but it was fun. So. You got to be the fun coach, not the, you know, yeah. play your position coach. Yeah, exactly. Not like 50 laps, 50 suicide runs coach. So, you know. <laughs> nice. Cool. But uh, we do have a guest today, so we'll keep our intros a little shorter. Um, we have uh, Colin, and I, now I forgot the, the pronunciation again. <laughs> Nettercorn? Nettercorn. Colin Nettercorn from uh, customer.io. Um, and I've kind of followed Colin for a long time on on twitter he always drops like super interesting tweets at least about like big impactful things with pricing and packaging and all kinds of things so anyways um welcome to the show uh and uh yeah is there anything i got wrong there uh you missed that i'm also a soccer coach for six-year-olds wow (laughs) nice that sounds much more chaotic than my 10-year-old ones but uh That's awesome. Well, thanks, thanks for joining us today, Colin. It's uh, yeah. really great to have you on. Uh, I yeah, really didn't know. I really didn't know a lot about you before, um, you know, getting you on the podcast here. So uh, maybe for our listeners, you could just give us the like five seconds of what Customer.io is, and um, you know, kind of where you started with that. Yeah. So um, I started Customer.io with a co-founder in 2012, and um, we we were. Much less in 2012, but today we're a customer engagement platform and um, we have several products. We've got Journeys, which uh, lets you build these workflows for sending messages over push, email, SMS. You can send webhooks, you can send Slack notifications. Basically, all, all of the channels that you want to send messages on are possible in our Journeys product. And then we have Data Pipelines, which is a customer data platform. So it gets data from your databases, from your app, to all of the different downstream systems that you want to use. Wow, that's really cool. So kind of like, you know, plug your plug customer IO into your database and that will send all of your messaging. Uh, and you can configure that all in your tool, I'm guessing. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Cool. So was that like, was that how you started Customer.io or is that, you know, more of what it's become today? So our, our very first uh, thing that we did was trigger-based emails. And mm. so you would take our JavaScript, put it into your website, and then you would set up some emails in our in our product. And, you know, it was drip, drip emails. So mm-hmm. um, immediately on sign up, the, the person gets one, then a day later, they get another one. And and the very first version of the product did that. And everything mm-hmm. we do now is really just an extension of that core use case in various directions. That's neat. That It sounds like you guys must be like, you, you've probably got that nailed by now, seeing as you're just <laughs> you know building it over and, and building it out, right? Yeah, we, so, we, we do that well. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so was there like sort of any, like when you, you started with that, that email stuff, was that um, based on like a need that you saw? Was that kind of a bet that people would buy that sort of a product? Um, what kind of got you down that rabbit hole? Yeah. If we, if I sort of take my brain back to 2011, 2012, when we, when we were first starting up, there was around about this time, there was this whole proliferation of new analytics products and so there were all these different tools that you could use and you could see what was going on on your website. Um, and when we started, we, we initially wanted to build a tool like that. 
And when we started talking to people, the feedback that we got was like, hey, it's it's great. Like I, I've got 20 tools that show me what's happening on my website and show me my user's behavior, but I don't have anything that helps influence that behavior. So if you could take that data and do something with it to influence behavior, that would be really valuable to my business. Like mm-hmm. help me convert more people from free trial to paid. Right. You know, help me retain people who stop using my product. Um, those were the things that was, we sort of, and I'm, I'm connecting the dots there a little bit on those examples, but mm-hmm. the, that was the feedback that we got. And we said, hold on a minute. If we like use this same analytics like data, but then give people the ability to, to set up rules and then send an email that sort of creates this virtuous cycle of mm-hmm. there's usage in your product. Um, you want to nudge people one way or another, and then you get to measure a, no, more usage in your product yeah. and figure out if, if it worked. Um, yeah. And that was like the, the first sort of inspiration that we had to, um, to build something. And there really wasn't a lot out there that, that mm-hmm. did that uh, yeah. at, at that point. There's a bunch of tools now. Yeah. 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 Totally. And like, yeah, when I saw your site, I kind of, yeah, I knew what, which box to put it in. I've seen that, that market. Um, but that's, that's really neat though, that you kind of start with like the analytics side of things. And then based on like what people are saying to you, you can kind of pivot from there. Um, and it sounds like that's a pretty high confidence thing just because like you had actual customers saying, Hey, you know, we'd like this other thing that's kind of related. Like, can you help us with that? Yeah, I think um, it was probably one of the better things that we did was we came up with a hypothesis and said, hey, if we built a product like this, does this solve a problem for you? Mm-hmm. And actually talking to people we trusted who were potential customers for us, that um, that gave us the confidence to not build that thing that we thought we should build yeah. and change the idea until yeah. we um, until we heard really positive feedback from people. That's really cool. So kind of since, since then, are there, um, yeah, like, are there other chain, bigger changes that you've made in the app, um, or things in your marketing or things like that, where you've kind of had to, you know, you didn't know exactly the way forward, but, um, you guys were able to kind of figure it out and, and, you know, make your way forward with that. So we, we started with email. But we're not. We don't just do email today. And I think one of the one of the bigger bets that that we made was um, building out a competency in mobile. And I don't know. I don't know what if you guys have a background in mobile, but I I did not. My I was a product manager. I worked on the web. I was really comfortable in the web, but I knew nothing about mobile. And we started to get customers who were both mobile and web companies or might, or they might only be on, uh, they might only have a mobile app and we just didn't know anything about how to serve them well or what Mm -hmm. their needs were. And we had to build out a whole mobile competency in the business by hiring in people who actually knew how to build a mobile SDK, what the expectations of companies using mobile SDKs were. And, um, that took, that took a couple of years to do it. And it was a big, speculative bet, uh, that we didn't have because that, you know, I think that the tough thing about it was we weren't even in the consideration set for a lot of companies. So occasionally we hear someone say, Hey, I I have a website, but I also have a mobile app. I think we can kind of use you on the web, but we can't really use you for mobile. And then, and it was great to get to talk to them and hear why we weren't good for mobile for them. But there was a whole bunch of companies who would just never consider us. And mm-hmm. so we didn't get that feedback from them. We didn't know what they actually needed. Um, and it took us a while to start to get in the conversation with some of those companies. And, you know, today we've got companies who are only mobile companies who use customer IO for push and in-app and, and email as well. But um, we didn't, we didn't know what we were missing because we had no, we weren't getting any data. What I find, so if, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you mentioned you first went to customers, it was the idea of doing the analytics. And you also mentioned, you know, it's a JavaScript snippet, or at least very much mm-hmm. in the early days. I find it really interesting that that was your first kind of step into it. If you look at other, you know, if you look at yourself in a certain lens, it's like, okay, your email marketing and you're like you know, MailChimp and all these other things. 
things. And a lot of those went the like, okay, you have a list and now we're going to go. It's about campaign management. It's all these other pieces. And it's interesting the way you kind of went at this different access point, right? Like we're taking the JavaScript, taking, okay, we're, 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 we're thinking apps. We're thinking there's an actual logged in user. We're going to be able to pull the email address and then use events to go do, you know, the rest of your interactions, really modeling it like alongside their application versus just purely utility. And then second, it looks like you, you're looking at doing it again with the mobile, right? It's like, okay, great. What's that other incision point? It's a, it's a mobile SDK, but you already at the, by that point seem to have the backend that would do all the messaging and all the triggering and all that. Mm-hmm. You'd like, okay, this is a different land grab over here. If we can, get an entry point into that, um, which to me sounds counterintuitive to most founders approaches, right? Going towards where they're going for, here's the, the, the product use case. And then it's like, okay, now secondarily, I'm looking to where I can get it inserted into workflow. Am I hooking it into CRMs or am I, do I have to build a widget that then collects an email address? Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. It just seems interesting to me that you took this approach instead. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, one of, one of the hardest things in the email space is trying to figure out the differences between products. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we deliberately did in the beginning was basically said, hey, if, if you're just trying to upload a list, this is probably not the product for you. <laughs> and if you really want to do that, here's an API. You can like <laughs> iterate over your list, your, you know, your CSV, you can build a little script, you can upload these people into, into our product. But for someone who just wanted to upload a list, not, not the product for them. And that, that was beneficial because it, um, eliminated a ton of spammers, Mm. like Mm -hmm. spammers Mm -hmm. or people with purchasing lists or whatever, like you can get really distracted with this type of product trying to fight fires. And so it kicked the can down the road on, on that issue quite a bit. Um, and it also was a way to say, when someone said, um, and the question early on was like, how are you different from MailChimp? Mm-hmm. It gave us this really easy way to create that differentiation rather than saying, well, we can do everything that MailChimp can do too, but we also do this. We were able to say, look, we're nothing like MailChimp. MailChimp, mm-hmm. you upload a list. With us, you take our JavaScript snippet, you integrate it into your website. And when people are logged in, then that data is streaming into our product and you can see all of your all of your people and you can send messages to them or trigger emails to them based on what they're doing once they're logged into your product. And that was our that was our wedge. Um, and obviously today that's a that's a really core use case for us, but you can upload a list, you can connect to the database, like you can it's it's just a it's a very flexible product, but I don't think that we would have ever been able to like carve out a niche in the market if we had just gone broad and said, oh, everything that MailChimp can do, you can do with us, except we're just for product companies. Right, mm. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're showing like with your, the way your product is used, you're you're kind of in a way that's your marketing as well, where it's like, mm-hmm. like no, we are different. And like, it shows up in the way you use our product too. That's That's really neat counter positioning. That's cool. Was there, um, yeah, was there other parts along your journey that um, you guys had to kind of, you know, feel your way through? Like the mobile, that's a that's a big deal, you know, hiring new people in and like a whole new competency group. Um, are there other areas of your product that were kind of like that or maybe like in your marketing or, um, you know, different segments that you tried to address? I think um, one, so my, my co-founder and I were I, from product and engineering. And I think probably like a lot of a lot of people with product and engineering backgrounds, we weren't that interested in doing sales. But yep. um, at at some point, we we realized that we were uh, we we're not going to be able to serve our customers unless we built out a competency in the business in in a, a sort of more. Um, and and we're not focused on enterprise, so enterprise is the wrong term, mm. but a sales led or sales assisted process. Uh, And it made a big difference for us. So one of the things that we early on, 
our approach to every deal was, hey, we have public pricing on the website. It's based on how many profiles you have in our system. And if you're a big, big organization, you pr- maybe have more profiles and mm. that's going to determine the, the price that you pay. And, oh, you want, you want a contract for a year? Sure, we can, we can do that. But there's no, there's no real negotiation. You know, you pay our public, public prices and there's no, there's no variation on the service, right? Like you mm. get what you get. Yeah. Everyone gets a great experience, right? That was our <laughs> that was sort of our promise and there's really just one package. Yeah. And so what what we realized was people would businesses would come in and that's not the way that they wanted to buy. Mm-hmm. And the decision was, you know, do we do we reshape an offering so that it actually gives them what they're looking to buy from us? Or do we keep pushing on this? Like, no, this is, this is our soup. Take it or leave it. Right. Like (laughs) (laughs) you get what you get and don't get upset. Yeah. You get what you get. Um, and, and it was a great decision for us. Like it was, you know, certainly one of the inflection points of the business was building, um, what we called premium. And we really, for a while, we only had two offerings. It was our basic or self-service offering, or there was the premium offering where you would talk to a salesperson and buy through a salesperson. And if Mm -hmm. you bought premium, you would have access to a customer success manager. Um, And then there was some other stuff that bigger companies wanted that we were able to do for them on, on the services side. Like we'd sign Mm -hmm. a HIPAA BAA, which basically assumes some liability um, on the business. And it didn't make sense to do that if you're paying us a hundred bucks a month. Yeah, that's that's like a lot of risk to incur to do that. But if if you want an annual contract, like we'll we'll do that. Mm-hmm. But it, by doing this um, and now it's more than 50 percent of our revenue is from companies in that type of setup with these premium in our premium offering. Yeah, this also coincided with the product getting more sophisticated. So our product matured. Mm-hmm. And as our product matured, we realized there was this like additional um group of companies who really valued what we were we were selling but we weren't selling it in the way that they wanted to buy and once we changed that it increased the number of customers and uh in in that part of our uh in that part of our customer base yeah so it was a pretty big pretty big inflection point for us yeah And, and that makes a lot of sense like i've heard so many different engineers that are building startups and they're like, I'm just going to have one plan and this is the only offering and I'm never going to, you know, have salespeople and like sign contracts and things. Um, and, and that's fine. Like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that approach at all. I think what, what we realized is we were getting pulled by people mm-hmm. and people wanted to buy our product and they wanted to buy from us. But <laughs> the way we were trying to do business with them was creating friction internally for our champions mm-hmm. in, in that company. And it just made it harder for the people who wanted to buy from us to buy from us. For sure. Yeah. And I think like, but I do think there is a, a somewhat generalizable opportunity there of when you're selling to these larger businesses that you are somewhat flexible. Um, yeah. Obviously you're going to do like people are going to run their businesses how they like, uh, but it seems to be common, fairly common that, um, you know, to to just do a little bit of extra work in integrating with those bigger companies and offering things the way they want to buy it uh, can really make a big difference. Um, that seems Absolutely. to be a, seems to be a bit of a pattern. So those uh, those are both seem like fairly big things. You know, your move to mobile and like um, being able to sell premium to these larger companies. Are there any um, like are there any of those or maybe other things that you've implemented that you wish you had done a lot sooner that, you know, you wish, Hey, you know, if we, we saw the writing on the wall for this particular thing and, you know, if we, if we just had gotten to it, you know, six months earlier or something, it would have been a lot better for us. Hmm. I, I tend not to, not to sort of like think about what, what could have been, hmm. uh, that's, so that's fair. <laughs> probably, I mean, probably not. I, and anything we're we're doing, obviously, I I want us to go faster because mm. uh, speed is really important in in our market. Uh, sure. But 
But yeah, there's nothing really I look at which I'm I'm regretful that we didn't we didn't get to it sooner. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think Josh, you mentioned like pricing stuff. I wish we were moving. Uh, I wish we were revisiting pricing more often than than we are in our business. But uh, and and maybe there's a change we're going to make in the future where I'm going to regret not having done that change. <laughs> but like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, as of right now, there's nothing I wish we could have done, uh, sooner than we did. Okay. That's fair. Um, but on on that pricing one, so how often do you revisit pricing? I guess how Uh, often do you, how would would you, yeah. How much do you want to? (laughs) I mean, I think, I think, um, it's ideally it's a continuous thing. You're, you're always testing some hypothesis on pricing and packaging. Uh, for us, it's probably been, I think we've done it maybe three to four times in, you know, in like 10 plus years. So we, we tend not to touch pricing too, too much. And I think part of the reason for that is we, we found a model that early on, um, by, which is really similar to what other companies like us do, like by tying it to the number of profiles in the system, it's a pretty good approximation for most businesses of is the product working for you and delivering value if you if you have more success as a business then that translates into uh you paying us more in in the next month um and so it's it's worked pretty well but i i also my philosophy on pricing is that i'd rather i'd rather invest energy into making the product better and be under optimized on pricing and have like happy, successful customers that will, and we can fix the pricing in the long run. And so that's probably a reflection of why we don't touch it that often. Um, and we still have people, we, we have a project underway right now to migrate people from our legacy pricing plans. And the, there, there are folks who I think are still on plans from 2014 hmm. that we, you know, we don't really support those plans anymore. The product has matured a ridiculous amount since, since then. And, um, but, but we just sort of took the, took the approach of not, not forcing people off old pricing plans for a really, really long time. And now we're, we're asking people to make, make the switch. Um, so we're in, we're in that process now. We we're also starting to build out um, or we're shifting the ownership, like who owns pricing in the organization and mm-hmm. our um, our marketing organization and product marketing specifically is going to is going to sort of push more frequent changes to tests on pricing. And the way that I think about pricing is not is not so like we as a business can extract the most we can from from customers. I think like the it's it's so that people are really clear and feel like the the uh, there's an offering that speaks to them right if we've got four different things you could buy there's one which is very clearly for you and the features that are there um there's nothing in that feature set where you're like well does that is that really for me um and and you're questioning whether you should buy it based on some like super advanced feature that we're we're throwing in there, and I think we there's decisions we made in the past like, um, and I'll I'll bring up a somewhat contentious one. There's um, SSO single sign-on, like we don't we don't feature gate today for single sign-on. Um, a lot of companies do that. They're like, all right, you want to use Okta as your single sign-on authentication provider, you know, you have to use our enterprise plan. We don't, we don't do that today, but I think if you do that with too many things and your basic self-service plan has like, you know, advanced user permissions where you have like 30 user roles and then you've got like Okta SSO and all of these things that like a small business just doesn't need, they will, then that small business will look at that plan and be like, is this really meant for me? And that's the risk, right? If you, if you don't actually do a good job of um, pricing and packaging segmentation, 
Uh, and so we've kind of under-optimized it. I want us to, to do a little more, especially as our product gets more mature and more sophisticated. We've got to make it easy for people to understand which is the thing that, that they should be buying. Yeah, it's interesting. I like how you're basically optimizing for also for speed, for speed of purchasing clarity of that. Mm -hmm. Am I in the right seat? Am I in the right place? Like, cool. That makes it like you walk in. Yep. This is the store for me. This is the shirt I want. Boom. You know, and it's, it's, they're not waffling around, like wandering the aisles and just getting more confused or given opportunities for another, you know, vendor to kind of be like, oh, well, what about this over here? And it's like, yeah, I'm kind of confused in this land. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll look, keep looking around. Right. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, earlier you mentioned, I think you said profiles were the sort of your value currency or your, your unit, uh, usage unit. Um, have you seen uh, challenges with like, you mentioned mobile. So like, let's say a B2C mobile company from a profile perspective and how they, you know, they might be sending out emails to free users and paid users mm-hmm. and different things on a, from a B2C mobile, let's say a mobile game or something like that front versus like B2B enterprise, which might have a lower uh, profile usage and types of things. Have you... Yep. Have, it sounds like you're familiar with yeah. like, like that conundrum. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's a big challenge, and um, w- our initial approach was keep keep things simple and leave money on the table. Basically, in the B two B enterprise case, you know every every user is worth I don't know uh, hundred bucks a month. Let's say sure, yeah. Right in in the B two C mobile case, it might be 30 cents a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, for it to be sort of cost effective, you need to price, uh, either you need to have like many different um, ways to buy the product and different prices for the same thing, or you leave money on the table and let and give it to the people who have a much higher uh, revenue per user than, um, and and yeah, build, build for those, basically build for, to make it accessible to all the B2C folks. And that's what we've chosen to do. There's still some tension sometimes, depending on the type of business and a really high volume business that has like tons of people flowing through it every month might still want to like clean up customer IO on a regular basis so that they're not, they're not paying for, for inactives in mobile. It's also more common to charge for MAUs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we haven't done that. Uh, so I think there's, there's room for us to keep exploring how do we, how do we segment better, um, so that it's really easy for our customers to sort of buy the thing that creates value for them and not pay for the thing that doesn't. Cool. No, that makes a lot of sense too. Yeah. I think also your, your, your approach to being fine with leaving on the table. Cause it's just, like you said, it's like, okay, I have two paths. I can try to hit it in the middle and maybe one is going to be super optimized for value to, to, to payments, but another one is going to be like just upset all the time. Right. Right. And then if you mm-hmm. make sure one is, one is happy enough and then the rest one is super happy, you're probably also getting more word of mouth, more, they feel like they're getting a really good value. Um, maybe, maybe there's other features like, you know, SSO, but maybe not for you guys <laughs> that could be like, okay, or, you know, Salesforce integration, that's like, okay, we'll get, we'll be able to match more monetary stuff, still not making them feel like they're getting raked over the coals, but for a different, in a different direction, um, that may not be the same usage metric type of thing. Yeah. And, um, I, I think it's also probably important to know my, my goal is, is, um, basically to, to have as many companies in the market using us as possible. And so if, if that's the goal, then you're not optimizing in the short term for um, for sort of having a smaller set of customers who are paying you a lot of money. Um, so if you had a different strategy or a different goal for your business, then you might you might not take our approach, right? Right, right. But I'd rather have more customers leave money on the table and then we'll figure out the um, pricing and segmentation a little bit later. Uh I don't know when later is. We're we're quite a ways into the business, but <laughs> we'll figure it out later. Um, in a way that 
every every one of those different types of business is still really happy to use the product. But um, but I'm I'm fine leaving money on the table to go for market share. Right, right. Yeah, I think I've heard you even say anytime your pricing comes out, I think you usually almost have like even a lower tier, right? Like uh, I feel like you used to have a maybe a hundred and fifty dollar plan, and now it's a hundred dollar plan. Mm-hmm. And I think I might have even tweeted at you. I'm like, so when's the what's what's next? And you're like, I I think you might have even said something like, I'd love to have a free plan. I don't know how that happens yet, but I'd like optimizing towards that, that like towards this this abundance and giving giving yeah you know, getting market share, but also just being out there for more more accessible to more people. Yeah. So we um, when we released Data Pipelines, our CDP product. Um, we we have a forever free tier of that product, uh, and so I um, I think you can send up to a million data points a month through. Uh, I, I need to double check, but I think it's about a million data points a month through data pipelines, and um, you know that's for for a lot of our customers that would be that's like all of their data. So right. for a lot of smaller companies, it's you know, you can use data pipelines for free to connect to, you know, a couple of downstream products, uh, customer IO journeys, mix panel, whatever you might be using in your stack. And uh, we, we really wanted to have something free in the market. We also, uh, we also have parcel, which is our, if you're building email HTML templates from, from scratch, mm-hmm. parcel is our best in class editor um, that, that we acquired the company, uh, about a year ago. Oh, wow. And, Congrats. um, so that's another, another free product that we, we have in the market. So free is like, it's been really interesting to sort of figure out how do we get, how do we get something, how do we sort of give something to, to people to that's, that's really valuable to them. So in the hopes that we create enough goodwill and, we build a relationship with people that when they have a need to send messages that they use, uh, or at least consider our journeys product. Nice. So what, what, what did trigger kind of, again, that seems like a big leap to go build out a whole CDP. I mean, there's plenty of big CDP companies. Um, you know, what, what was the, the big, yeah. What was the big impetus to make that jump? I think what, what we saw was, a lot our customers who implemented a CDP before using Customer.io Journeys had more success in Journeys. Their data was cleaner. It was better. Mm-hmm. Um, fewer headaches for them, fewer headaches for us in servicing them. And so our recommendation is that every single company uses a CDP with Journeys. Right. Um, but what we saw was that that market is a... I think it's a really challenging market. And if you're a pure play CDP company, um, it's really hard. Like customers want to use the product, but after the, after the implementation, it's really hard to monetize people and, and grow a venture backed business. And a lot of, a lot of money was raised in this market. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's a lot of CDP companies who, and, and a, a lot on the enterprise as well, who've raised a ton of money there and there's no path forward for them where they're going to, they're going to survive and return, you know, return money. And one of the things that we've seen them, them do, one of the behaviors that's kind of come out of that is, is raising prices. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they realized that small businesses are not great companies or their, their time pressure is such that they can't, widen the funnel and serve a bunch of smaller companies who may not be big yet. But those are a lot of the companies that we want to serve. Uh, and we want to, we want to start with companies from day one. And so there wasn't, there wasn't a good offering for those companies that people trusted that they weren't going to get price gouged later right. on or as shut the company down later grew. or whatever. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And so um, we just felt like the, the market for CDP products was not serving our customers well. And the best way we knew how to fix that was to create an offering that would always be there. And you're attached to that too. Like it's your, your brand attached to it. And mm-hmm. no, I like it. That's a, that's, that makes a lot of sense. 
Cool. Um, so, so one area I think we kind of keep walking into that, that we haven't talked about is, is on the brand side, right? It just sounds like very much, it, it, you know, where your values are, where you want to provide for the customers and that type of thing. Is that, is that something that kind of like, uh, is probably part of like your and your founders core values. And that's always been there from the start. And then it's just mostly about, you know, how does this actually get to the market? Um, how, yeah. How do you think about brand, uh, and, and like, like being where your future customers are aside from just free tools, maybe that is too much to cover. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think like I, maybe things are changing. I don't, I don't totally know, but, um, for a lot of our history, the, the way that our customers have talked to uh, talked about us. They'd say things like, Oh, it's the best kept secret in marketing. <laughs> and on, on some level, it's great to be the best kept secret, <laughs> but on another level, like, wouldn't it be better if people knew about us and uh, knew, you know, knew they should be using us. <laughs> and we, we've been around enough now that I think just um, surviving means more people have come across the company over the, over the history of the company. But the we we still sort of haven't haven't penetrated the market to the level where we're like the number one thing in someone's mind or the number one product in someone's mind when they uh, you know want to want to connect data from their application to downstream products or they want to send messages to their customers and they need to they need one place to manage all of the messages that their product is sending and I think so there's still there's still room for us to become a stronger brand in, in that regard and get more mindshare from, from folks. Um, that's part of the, I think, as I mentioned before, like we want, our, our goal is to serve as big a piece of the market as we can. Um, to have as many companies using us as we can, I think to, um, to make that happen, we need more people to know about us. And that's, that's really the challenge that we're, we're working through right now for a lot of, for a lot of the history, it was like, okay, well, well build a good product and then word of mouth will, if, if we serve our customers really well, they're going to tell other, other people about us. And that's worked really, you know, that's worked well for us. I think where, and early stage companies talk a lot about, about the tools they're using. Um, founders are on Twitter saying, Hey, we tried out this, this new, um, you know, this new tool for like managing our product backlog, right? They'll talk about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And um, I think enterprises that happens less so or larger mm -hmm. companies that happens less so. And so you get these people in a specialized role in a larger company who might be the buyer for a product like ours. They're not talking to other people about their stack. They're probably seeing sort of who's sponsoring the con conference they're attending and they're making or they're, they're assessing credibility of companies that way, or they're looking at like G2 or even mm -hmm. some of the bigger, those like, uh, I, I won't mention their names. I don't, I don't love them. The like <laughs> bigger companies that will do their assessments of where you are relative to other companies, you know, and, and there's a totally different game to play to gain mindshare um, of, of buyers and, in these different parts of the market. And it's, I, I think what I'm excited about, I'm excited to try to build a really big recognizable brand. And so last gen or in the beginning of the year, I hired a new CMO and um, our CMO Jason's like building out this fantastic team of folks on the marketing side, but we're putting a lot of, a lot more investment and energy and effort into uh, trying to establish a, a larger brand for the company. So it's exciting to see, but I'd say the, the way that we got here was a lot of word of mouth and a little bit of pay-per-click advertising, a little bit of um, outbound sales, but mostly mm -hmm. it was just trying to do a good job for our existing customers and them telling someone else. I, I feel that so, so deep. I, I do consulting on the side and then I do, I sell products on the other side and like, 
it's totally different worlds, like dealing with enterprises and like getting to the right people. Like you're mm-hmm. so right. It is about sponsoring trade shows and like spending money on ads and stuff that like get targeted to the right person. It's just such a different game. Yeah. Yeah. What, what's interesting that stuck out to me too, is you're saying, you know, they'll, they'll probably, if, if you asked like another product manager, they'd say, Oh, what do you use? Oh, I use, I use customer.io and I love it. And it's like, okay, great. But you're right. It's not as much on like a Twitter feed, like, Hey, just tried this because it's also, <laughs> what are you going to say other than it's the best kept secret and it's awesome. But it's like, okay, it did the job, but it did it in a really good way. It's like, how do you describe, like, I, it, I've heard people say, um, you know, when a brand is remarkable or when something they come across as remarkable because they have something very specific. Like if it was the backlog, it's like, you can't believe how easy it is to manage this backlog because it does this, this, and this, or sorts it in this way, or it's like a Trello board, but does this, that type of description mm-hmm. can come out. But I think, I don't think I'd be insulting you to say, but like email marketing and messaging and all of these things are kind of boring, but <laughs> it's transactional, yeah. it's necessary, and you want it to be good from a product and engineering standpoint. And when it performs, does well, but they're just going to say like, it does its job and it does it really well. And someone's like, okay, I don't know the difference. I haven't had a bad experience, so I don't know what's good. So I don't know. Thoughts yeah. on that? I mean, usually usually when, when we see customer IO mentioned on Twitter, it's, it's in response to someone saying, Hey, how do you, what are the recommendations for right. how to do this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, how do I, um, or what, what are people using to manage all of their products messages? Something like that. Right. Okay. Did you, and also when you mentioned all the different channels, you mentioned webhooks, did you also mention Slack? Was that one of the ones yeah. you mentioned? So like, (laughs) which that one stuck out to me because it's not, it's not as common as a, it doesn't seem as common as a messaging channel. Typically, you know, okay. SMS chat things popping up, you know, user interactions and emails. Um, But when, when did that get added and how did, what's like the, what is a primary use case for that for people? Just wondering. Yeah. So with, um, with, with Slack, uh, one of the things that a company might do is um, have a channel with every single new signup that they get. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's really for internal notifications, not letting your end user sort of connect to their Slack instance. Okay. Um, but we use it a lot for, for notifications of these like key moments in the product. So new user signup, conversion to paid, cancellation, those all... Um, we, we pump a bunch of data into Slack to alert our team. You could also use it if you want to sort of escalate someone from who's in a trial to a salesperson because they've either shared some information like they, they work at a company with more than a thousand people or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use the logic within our journeys product to sort of pump, pump data into the right place at the right time. Uh, to alert your team. And then webhooks, like in that example, right, you might send a notification to the sales team that there's a person in a trial who um, should be talking to sales. You can use a a webhook to then create a new opportunity in Salesforce or in whatever sales CRM you're using. So people use it for both external messaging as well as sort of internal uh, internal business process automation. Okay. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. It's especially once you have that also the CDP of people are pumping all kinds of event data in and it's like, Oh, Hey, I now I can have this as a, yeah, as a notification to my team for different events or CEOs love their dashboards and want to know when certain yeah. things are going on. And I have some private channels. I have stuff that, that sends into Slack for me that I just go and check instead of bugging the team. But um, yeah, that sounds really cool. Cool. All right. Um, Nate, did you want to oh, wrap have more up questions. with some other questions? Oh, you have more questions? Go for it. <laughs> I have Go more questions. <laughs> Go for it. We um, got Colin's time. Let's do it. There we go. Not much of it left. Let's take it. Um, so yeah, like how, what do you do for like continuing to improve yourself? Like I know you've 
grown this company for quite quite a few years now. Um, I'm sure you've come across a lot of things on your journey. Um, are there specific books or things you listen to, things that you read? Uh, what do you do for for learning things? Yeah, I think um, basically I I I try to see what books or, or if I see people talking about a book being amazing on Twitter, hmm. um, I will just buy the book and I'll add it to my stack. Um, <laughs> I'm about to, or, or a friend of mine sent me Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Okay. And I recently re- listened to the audio book um, of one of, one of his, one of his employees or former employees uh, wrote a similar book and I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, but um, I, I listened to the audio book and it was really good. I, th- I think drawing inspiration from outside of tech mm-hmm. is a really helpful way to kind of bring, bring a fresh look at your own business yeah. or, um, and I'm, I just really enjoy everything that goes into um, like fine dining and the, sort of the restaurant experience. I, can't even imagine the the stress of running that type of business you have like food spoilage you've mm-hmm. got like staffing issues like there's it's just it's amazing um and it's such a such a pleasure to go out and eat and mm-hmm. um have a nice meal that um i'm fascinated by that by that industry so i want to read um or i'm starting to read setting the table by danny meyer but then i have like a you probably can't see I, uh, yeah, if you could see the video <laughs> behind me, there's just a bunch of books on, on my shelf that, that I'm, uh, I've read or I'm reading. And, um, the other, the other thing which I, I do, there's the Stratechery podcast mm-hmm. and newsletter. Um, yep. and I listen, I usually listen to it, but I find that's, that's really helpful as well. It gives me that like bigger picture of what's going on in our broader industry. Mm-hmm. And then um, I found that um, Heaton Shaw has this like product habits um, mm-hmm. mailing yep. list. And so I get these links from him and somehow the collection of links that he sends are like phenomenal. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Not somehow I'm sure it takes a lot of work, but uh, that's, those are kind of three, three different levels of things. Mm-hmm. I think there's sort of like the quick hits, the, yeah. the like, and then the, the longer term learning. Yeah, I think I think that's really neat, especially like learning from outside of our industry. I think uh, sometimes you can hear the same things repeated over and over again within the industry, and it gets to be a little echoey. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think it's so neat when you see, yeah, like kind of other industries, and like you can draw parallels uh, to your own, you know, way of dealing with things, and you know, maybe learn some things that that are completely new. I think that's really neat. Um, so, like, you're, this is kind of you know, books and podcasts, things like that. Um, are there other kind of companies that you follow quite closely or like that you try to, you know, implement things from borrow ideas, if you will? Yeah. I mean, I, so we, we're, we're a globally distributed company. Um, Mm -hmm. we're like about 250 people now. And I observe, I, I, I would say I observe a ton of companies, but I don't try to emulate any of them Mm -hmm. directly, but, um, definitely borrow ideas that are, that are good ideas when we see them. There's some, there's some like remote or distributed companies that are, that are bigger than us. Um, GitLab is one of them. I, mm-hmm. I'm always fascinated. Anytime we have a new thing we're exploring, mm-hmm. um, I, I feel really grateful that they publish all of their like internal documentation on stuff. <laughs> yeah. And so um, usually we'll take a look at, uh, or I'll, I'll have a read of how are they doing this thing? Yeah. Um, and I don't always agree with it, right? Sure. I don't think uh, we're, we're necessarily going to do it the way that, that they do it. But it's it's great to have those those reference points, especially when they're distributed companies with with teams and people all over the world. Um, but but yeah, and I I think it's really it's also really helpful to have a cohort of companies around your same size that you can you can talk to. Mm-hmm. And so I've found a group. Um, or, or I've started getting together with a group of other CEOs recently uh, where our companies are, are sort of similarly sized. And yeah. that's really helpful. It's also like really rejuvenating 
Mm, right. Yeah. But it's yeah. very, when you're building a business, it's a very lonely endeavor. Yes. Uh, even, even though there, there's a lot of people in the company, it's, it's lonely in the CEO seat. Yeah. Um, and having other people who have sort of either been through similar stuff, um, or are a little bit ahead yeah. uh, or you can help, um, all of those, all of those things are pretty rejuvenating. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, I, I feel that a lot. Uh, like I'm not very far along on my journey, but like just talking to people that are kind of in the same space as you or ahead of you a bit, like that's, Hey, that's part of the reason we do this podcast. Like it's just, uh, mm -hmm. so enjoyable to talk and, you know, collect ideas and things like that. Yeah. That started with just me and Nate talking about stuff with that he's working on and it is, it is. Yeah. Really rejuvenating. And also we're like, okay, and then we'll start sharing these out too. So, um, yeah. Um, cool. Um, Nate, did you have any other questions? No, I think I'll, I'll keep it at that for now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, this, this was great. I know we covered a lot of, a lot of topics, um, you know, a lot of decisions you've made over the past 10, I guess, 11, 11 years or so. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've, so you're sort of a OG in the, in the SaaS space of this type of thing. I know you've, there's other areas I wanted to touch on, but I don't think we have to. I think there's, I know you've done, you've done some crowdfunding, some other things like through the, yeah. through the years. Um, we could probably link to, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of content out there that we might add to the show notes for other people to just learn more about you, Colin, um, and, and customer.io. Uh, but where can people find you? Where do you, you know, how do you want to be reached? If, if other people have questions, what, what's uh, the best way? Yeah, I'm just Alpha Colin on on Twitter or X or whatever whatever it's called these days. <laughs> uh, so you could you could reach me there. That's that's a good spot. I think that's where you and I usually chat, Josh. So yep. yep. Um, or I'm just Colin at customer.io. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks a lot for coming. And uh, yeah, this was great. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Nate. All right. Thanks. See you later. All right. Yep. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you want to chat with us, we're on Twitter. I'm at Nate Bosher and Josh is at JLogic. If you're a new listener, uh, check out some of our most popular episodes. Episode 52, 7 years to 22 MRR and zombie startups. Or episode 30, review sites are a necessary evil and hacks to get around them. Thanks again.